Tonight is the beginning of uh, Hanukkah, uh, certainly, and then uh, tomorrow is uh, Christmas. Uh, uh, important uh, days on the calendar for uh, you know for for many people, and uh, I thought it would be wise for us to talk a little bit about Hanukkah and what it means, and then tie it into, believe it or not, the very end <laughs> of the book that we have been studying. There's, uh, I left the last verse uh, of uh, 1 John for us to look at today because it does tie in very nicely to the holiday. But first, a little bit about Hanukkah and then interesting, interesting how it ties into uh, to uh, Christmas, okay? You know, uh, just right at the get-go, sometimes when people come to uh, Beth Messiah, they think that, uh, you know, uh, like Christmas is like a bad word or something, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, it's important for us to uh, recognize that uh, it just simply is not a Jewish expression of, uh, of our faith. Uh, and so that is uh, why we don't uh, communally uh, have a, a Christmas uh, celebration. But it would be very hypocritical uh, of me uh, to say that uh, this is a very bad thing because my guess is is that the majority of people here uh, tomorrow will be either at a relative's house, maybe on the other side of the family, uh, or uh, at a friend's house, or even your own homes, you know, uh, celebrating Christmas. So that would be rather hypocritical to say, well, you know, uh, this is bad, but okay, let's just not say anything, but this is what we do actually, uh, you know, at home or, uh, or elsewhere. No, it's just uh, uh, not, a, uh, not a Jewish expression of faith in Yeshua. So that's communally, that's why we don't do, do Christmas. That is being consistent with, uh, you know, with, uh, with who we are. Uh, and, you know, uh, an interesting observation to make is that, uh, I don't say this every year, but it's a good thing for us to be reminded of, uh, that, I don't know if this is just me, but I have been a believer for, I've been a believer, this is, this is almost as, uh, you know, uh, 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 as difficult as looking in the mirror and saying you're 60 years old is that I have been a believer for 40, more than 40 years, okay? And in all that time, and in full-time vocational ministry for 37 of those years, in all that time, I will bet I can count on one hand the Jewish believers in Yeshua that are, like, offended at Christmas, and that the vast majority of the people that are, like, you know, Christmas is satanic and, you know, uh, you know, going down that road are people that are not Jewish uh, and are in some way, shape, or form perhaps even reacting to the way one has grown up, perhaps. And so that's kind of an interesting observation uh, to make. Uh, that's just my, my observation, but my guess is, is that uh, if you're a Jewish believer here and you've been a believer for a long time, that might be your observation. Well, maybe not on one hand, but maybe definitely on, uh, on two hands. And it is interesting because in uh, the book of Zechariah, you have a very interesting uh, little, um, uh, little narrative here 
when the Jewish people came back from the Babylonian captivity, uh, which is when Zechariah is, you know, it's after the Babylonian captivity. So it's like during the second temple period, right? That uh, the people go to the priest and they, and they say this in verse uh, 3. Shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain as I have done these many years? Uh, uh, now, it's important for us to know that when it says in the fifth month, uh, shall, shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain as I have done these many years, in the fifth and seventh months, as it says a little later on, it's not talking about some kind of biblical fast uh, or uh, biblical holy day. These were days that had been developed because of the Babylonian captivity, like the fast of Gedalia and other things like that. And what they're really asking is, now that we're back, should we continue to observe these days that uh, are not in the law of Moses, uh, but uh, came over time for varieties of reasons? So the answer to that, I think, is really very interesting. Say to the people, see in verse 5 of Zechariah chapter 7, say to all the people in the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, these 70 years, what is actu was it actually for me that you fasted? And when you eat and drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Okay, so the answer is, this is just like what Yeshua would have done. They ask a question and he answers with a question, right? To make a point. He answers... Again, as, uh, as I once learned, sometimes when people ask you a question, you want to answer the person, and not just the question, but answer the person, because there's oftentimes something behind the question that they're really asking, right? So what does he say? Are you doing it for me, or are you doing it for yourselves? And so I would say that is the best lens with which to celebrate anything. Are you doing it for me? Or are you doing it for yourselves? Because anything, as we'll learn in a little while, anything can become idolatrous. Even the best of things. Are you doing it for me? Or are you doing it for yourself? That is the question here in Zechariah. And that is the question for us all the time. And everything that we do, you know? Are you doing it for me? Or are you doing it for yourself? And, uh, and so uh, that is, I think, a good way to look at these, uh, at these holidays, very practically speaking, uh, in terms of observance and things of, uh, of that nature. Okay? So uh, getting, to, uh, getting to Hanukkah. Uh, you know, Hanukkah, first of all, uh, we have to learn how to spell Hanukkah, right? <laughs> that's, uh, that, that, that's a really big deal. Because uh, it is a testimony to the fact that with most words that you transliterate into English from Hebrew, it really doesn't matter how you spell it, right? There are conventions, so there's definitely transliteration conventions that you're supposed to follow, but not on uh, the word Hanukkah, okay? Uh, actually, I kind of like the H-A-N-N-A-K... Uh, 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 no, H-A-N-N-A-Q-U-E-H. I like that one. I, you know, I, I don't know about you. I, uh, or the K, the K-H, you know, I, uh, 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 spelling at the, be at the beginning. There, so there's a variety, as long as you have a lot of N's and K's, 
you know, you're in good shape. But I would say the best one is the simplest one with the CH at the beginning and one N and one K and an H at the end. You know what I mean? That is the, that is actually how it's pronounced. Hanukkah. That's actually how it's pronounced. Uh, and uh, so that's always uh, kind of uh, fascinating. And then also there is, of course, the meaning of the holiday. What does Hanukkah mean, right? And I, I thought we would understand that. I know that there's some of us, some of us here today that just might not be real familiar with, 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 the, Hanuk- with the holiday of Hanukkah. And unless you're, you read about it or someone tells you, you're not going to know, right? So I'm glad you're here and we can learn all about it, right? I, so first of all, it is not the Jewish version of Christmas. Like, you know, the Jewish version of Christmas is Hanukkah, right? No. No. Uh, although there is a little bit of truth in it, which I will explain uh, in a moment. Okay, so what is Hanukkah about? Very succinctly and briefly. It's, uh, it's about the victory of Jewish people over Greco-Roman oppressors uh, around the year 165-164 BC, about 165 years before Yeshua. Okay, uh, It is actually prophesied in the book of Daniel, in the 8th chapter, the 8th chapter, not, not all the chapters there, but the 8th chapter. Uh, and basically, uh, you, you all know who Alexander the Great is, right? He is uh, written about in the Bible, right? right? Daniel chapter 8. Remember, we were there. Uh, I trust that it is uploaded. You can look at Daniel 8 and listen to the whole sermon, okay? So Alexander the Great, he dies... His uh, empire, his world empire, is divided up into four parts, okay? Two of those parts are important for us in the Hanukkah story. One is a group called the Ptolemies that starts with a P, and uh, they were in Egypt. And then there were the Seleucids, and I guess I should say that starts with an S, uh, that were uh, centered in Damascus, Syria, okay? Uh, And uh, the uh, Seleucids... Uh, were the dominant uh, were the dominant force over uh, in between Egypt and uh, Syria, like today, Egypt and Syria, right? And Israel's in, in between, just as it was then, right? So uh, the king, the fourth king of the Seleucid Empire, uh, Antiochus, who who named himself Epiphany, Epiphanes, the magnificent one, right? Uh, he uh, decides he's going to make war with the Egyptians. And so he goes to war with them, but he loses. And on the way back, their forces were in a very bad mood. And they decided to pillage Jerusalem on the way back. Like, we might as well get something for this journey, right? So meanwhile, in Jerusalem, what was taking place was a cultural revolution, okay? Remember that Alexander the Great introduced uh, his empire to a Greek way of living and thinking uh, and, yeah, worldview that is popularly known as Hellenism, right? Well, a lot of Jewish people bought into it. Just like today, we have a culture that, whether people are Jewish or whatever they are, people live within the culture that they're in. They don't even realize they're being influenced by it. Okay, so Jewish people were highly influenced by an Hellenistic way of thinking. Uh, and, uh, and some really liked it. Uh, it had to do with, frankly, the dietary laws. 
It had to do with the way of worshiping in the temple. Uh, it had to do with the way one did um, a, a fun activity, like exercise and things of that nature. Uh, what people studied, you know, the, the Greek culture and things of that nature. So in, uh, in Jerusalem and the environs, you had people that were like the traditionalists, and then you had people who were into the new culture, and they were not getting along. So on top of it, while this is happening, you have uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, Antiochus IV, and his people coming and pillaging uh, Jerusalem, and they, uh, they uh, treat, they desecrate the temple, right? Desecrates, the opposite of sanctify or make it holy. They made it unholy. Okay, the story is, is that they sacrificed pigs on altars. They forced the priests to do these kinds of things. They set up uh, a, a Greek uh, worship edifices inside of the temple, and it was, it was really horrible. So you have, uh, in a small town, which exists today, called Modin, uh, not far from Jerusalem, you had a priest, and his name was Mattathias, right? And he had uh, uh, these uh, five sons, and they decided they were going to rebel. Uh, the story is, is that the, uh, there was a, a Syrian came to Mattathias, and uh, Mattathias would not engage in the desecration of the temple. And so his sons uh, reacted, and they began a war that lasted about uh, three and a half years to get to Jerusalem, uh, to gather a large fighting force, and to be able to overtake the Greco-Syrian army, as, as they were known, and to be able to uh, get back the temple, uh, and then cleanse the temple, and then dedicate the temple, okay? So Hanukkah is the celebration of the dedication of the temple after it had been redeemed and cleansed uh, by uh, the Maccabees. That's what they uh, came to be known as, the Maccabees, right? Okay, so that's what the holiday is. And, and uh, Hanukkah means uh, basically to dedicate, to dedicate from the beginning, uh, kind of interestingly enough, like inaugurate almost, it's a similar kind of word to inaugurate. But uh, anyway, to dedicate. And, and we know that in the New Covenant, in the Gospel of John, in the 10th chapter, we read it was the Feast of the Dedication, and Yeshua was at the temple, and, and that's where he gives uh, his very famous uh, discourse on the, being the Good Shepherd, which is very interesting for a lot of reasons. Uh, but so Yeshua... What that tells us, by the way, is that Hanukkah was a known holiday uh, in the first century uh, and celebrated as such, and Yeshua was, uh, was there. It was the Feast of Dedication, that is Hanukkah, okay? All right, so now, over the years, as with lots of traditions, uh, they gain uh, all kinds of uh, additional traditions and ways of celebrating and so on. Now, we know about Hanukkah from a, uh, from a uh, book called uh, the Maccabees, right? It's in the Apocrypha, right? It's not in the Bible, not a biblical book, but it gives us a history of what happened. And there it says that uh, the reason it is celebrated all those days, eight days, is because the people missed celebrating Sukkot, 
because they could not celebrate Sukkot during this, uh, during this occupation, right? So now they wanted to celebrate Sukkot. And so, you know, Sukkot is seven days, and then there is Shmini Atzeret, the eighth day, the holy convocation, extra day, eight days. Voila, Hanukkah, eight days. But we also read in the Talmud, and this is the only source for this, in the Talmud we read that there was not enough oil to light the menorah in the temple, uh, and a great miracle happened there, and that was that the little oil that they had lasted for eight days. Okay? And so uh, we celebrate the great miracle that happened there uh, in, the, uh, in the temple. And uh, we uh, eat uh, potato pancakes, latkes, right? Uh, because they're made with oil. And then uh, more of a Middle Eastern or Sephardic tradition is uh, to eat uh, like jelly donuts, sufgan yot. One of the greatest words to just say. I don't you love saying that word. Right. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's a little bit about the holiday. Uh, there's a game uh, that we play called dreidel, which um, uh, means to spin. Yiddish uh, means to spin. Uh, and uh, I'll say uh, maybe next uh, Saturday night at our Hanukkah party, we'll learn all about how to play that game. Uh, and if you don't, uh, if you have access to a computer, put in dreidel, how do you play? And you'll get the whole thing, okay? Uh, because uh, it, it's just too involved to explain all of that right now. All right, so now here, thank you, Rubenstein family, for leaving uh, your menorah here, uh, okay? Uh, so this is a very pretty Hanukkah menorah, and as Jane Gardner said, someone must have made it, right? I know what you meant, <laughs> right? In fact, it's very pretty, like handmade. Someone must have handmade it. And of course, me being a wise guy said it, I guess somebody had to have made it, right? Okay, so here it is. And this serves as a very, uh, a very good uh, teaching tool for uh, lighting the menorah. And so I thought I would do this because some of you may want to participate. And tonight's the first night. If you wait all the way until next Saturday night, it'll be like, oh, it's like uh, too late, right? Okay, so uh, this is a menorah. So here... A Hanukkah menorah has nine places for candles, and one of them is higher than the others, okay? There are all kinds of candelabras in Judaism for, you know, for decorative purposes, and, and even on Shabbat, some have seven, so there's some two candlesticks, some have three, you know, no need to read something into every, uh, every candlestick in the Jewish world, all right? But the Hanukkah menorah is important that it has eight and one extra one. Uh, and as you may know, the, the one that's higher than the other, others is called the shamus, the servant candle, the servant candle, right? And so what we do is we get a Hanukkah a candle, we stick it in here, we light this one with a match. And then we take this one and we light candle number one. Well, it depends which way I'm... Here we are. Okay. And so we light candle number one, okay? Uh, now, let me tell you a secret. There are some Jewish traditions, believe it or not, that go this direction. And do you know that there's even a tradition of lighting them all and then going down to one, believe it or not? But it's not the one that any of us grew up with, so this is the one we use, right? <laughs> okay, so we start with this candle. There we go. So the first night, uh, we light the shamus, the servant candle with the match, 
And then we light candle one, and they go down. The second night, what? Did I say something wrong? No, okay. So then uh, night number two, you, you put in another uh, Shamus candle, and then you put two in, and then you light those two. And they go down. Third night, you know, all the way to eight nights. All right. So uh, what is uh, wonderful about this, so it reminds us about the oil, it reminds us of the miracle of God, it reminds us of God's provision, it reminds us that God is light and not darkness, all those wonderful, uh, all those wonderful truths. But as a Messianic community, wow, the menorah, and this one in particular, is really helpful uh, to us because shamus means servant. I, uh, servant or minister, actually. That's where the, the, the word diakonos in Greek, where you get the word deacon from, right? The, uh, the word in Hebrew would be shamus. That's why we have a board of shamashim, and individually they're a shamus. That's where that, that comes from. It means to serve, right? So Yeshua, when he came, he said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. He is the shamus. He is the servant who is the light of the world. But in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say to us? You are lights of the world. Don't hide your light, he says, right? And so here, we could say that we are all the, uh, the, uh, the candles. And so he lights, the, the, uh, he's the source, he lights us. He gives us light. He is what is true. Remember what we said last week in the message? That, that uh, our uh, assurance of salvation is because of who Yeshua is, not because of who we are. Not because we're obedient, but because he is faithful and we are just, we're the receivers. We're, we're the receivers of it. He is the one who is faithful. Uh, our uh, uh, confidence in prayer is because of, of our entree of Yeshua being our credentials, not because we're good, not because we're obedient, not because of anything, but because of him. It's all because of him. And so the only reason that these candles can be lit is because the shamus lights them. Otherwise, they don't get lit, right? So we are lights in a dark world. As a community, we are a light in a dark world, right? Now, what else? The other thing that's really great about this menorah is that the shamus brings the two parts of the menorah together, right? And we could say, like we often do, we're a community of Jewish and Gentile people brought together in Yeshua. He brings us together. We are one in him, one in Messiah. And so then when we come to the eighth day, wow, you know, it's great to turn off all the lights you know, and to... Uh, uh, and to see the, the, the lit menorah. So there's a, there's a lot of wonderful things. We'll talk, we'll talk about something else now also. But I also wanted to remind us that, you know, there's a Hanukkah song that we uh, sing. I, uh, many of us learned it as children. It's called Mahot Sur. What you may not know is that the words in English are not the words in Hebrew. They're like two songs, right? You may not have re- re- realized that. So when you sing Mahotsur Yeshuati, you're not actually singing Rock of Ages, hear our song. So that's kind of interesting. What are you saying? Rock of Ages, my salvation, or my Yeshua, Yeshuati. Mahotsur 
Rock of Ages, Yeshua T, my salvation. Like in uh, Isaiah chapter 12, when we sing, uh, Behold, God is my salvation in Hebrew, right? Yeshua T. So that's kind of, uh, uh, that's kind of special and very good, right? Uh, and, uh, and so there's a lot of other things that we could learn about, uh, about Hanukkah, about the power of God, right? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That is in Zechariah, and that is a key verse of the celebration of Hanukkah. Not by power, but by God's spirit. Uh, even though uh, it seemed like it was just the Maccabees fighting, no, the invisible hand of God was, uh, was completely uh, you know, involved. So uh, that is uh, uh, how we celebrate uh, the holiday of Hanukkah. Now, the thing about when I said, well, there's a little bit about how uh, Hanukkah is the Jewish version of Christmas. Here's something you may not have known. Prior to the big exodus of Jews from Russia to America, uh, Ellis Island and all that, Hanukkah was not a huge gift-giving holiday. Hanukkah became a huge gift-giving holiday in the U.S. of A. Okay? 20th century. You know? Uh, so in that way, that is, that is how Hanukkah became a big gift-giving holiday, all right? What used to be is uh, what, we, what we still do, like the chocolate coins, gelt, right? You know, or, or a, little, a couple of coins you'd give to grandchildren. And usually it's just children receiving holidays, not you know, the postman and everybody else. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, and, but there was a gift-giving holiday. What holiday was that? Purim. Purim was the gift-giving holiday. Uh, now, Hanukkah has become the gift-giving uh, holiday. Uh, although, hamantash, and that's a nice gift, right? Uh, and there is a tradition of uh, collecting food for the poor on uh, Purim, which comes from the Book of Esther. Okay, so that is uh, a lot about Hanukkah. Uh, um, now, how does it relate uh, a little bit to uh, the celebration of, uh, of Christmas. Well, you can think of some of those things, uh, right? Uh, the concept of light, Yeshua is the light uh, of the world. But perhaps the most important thing uh, is uh, that as the temple was redeemed uh, and cleansed uh, and dedicated so, in the coming of the Messiah, we are redeemed, and we are cleansed, and we are uh, dedicated uh, uh, to God. Uh, in uh, the New Covenant, if you, if you turn to Titus chapter 2, you're saying, this has got to be the only... Um, uh, I should take a poll and ask my friends this. I wonder how many... Messianic congregations are taking a look at the book of Titus in chapter 2 and verse 14 at Hanukkah. But anyway, we are. Uh, and um, uh, as you turn there, uh, what, what you have here, let me read it, and beginning in verse 11, 11 to 14 of Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope. That's where that is. Oh, where is that in the Bible? There it is. Looking for the blessed hope 
and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Messiah Yeshua, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And so Messiah came uh, to do what the Maccabees did for the temple, Yeshua does for us. Now there's a historical aspect to this in that what the Maccabees did, unbeknownst to them, was they preserved the Jewish world. Because if they didn't put the brakes on, the assimilators would have won. Or assimilationists, probably the assimilators. It's not like something in a car. But the assimilationists would have won the day. Because if you're familiar with your Jewish history, just one generation after the Maccabees, their children and their grandchildren became very much uh, assimilated. And, uh, and the, uh, that first century before Yeshua is not a pretty picture uh, in, the, in the Jewish world. Uh, however, though, it is uh, undeniable that what the Maccabees did is they preserved Jewish worship so that when Yeshua came, there was an infrastructure of the Jewish world for him to come and be part of. See? That is all the invisible providential hand of God, right? When you look at the life of Yeshua, if you just look at it horizontally, not, not reading into it all the spiritual dimension, but just this is what happened, outside of his miracles, you would say that his life was tragic, cut short by those who came against him. And there was a power struggle, uh, and he was crucified, right? Now, unbeknownst to, the, to Pontius Pilate, unbeknownst to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, this is the invisible hand of God at work, taking what looks like a tragedy, and it becomes the most important event in human history. So you don't judge a book by its cover, as we say. You don't judge it by just simply horizontally, this is what's taking place. But what is God doing in the midst of all of it? That's what providence is, God's providence. And so uh, the birth of the Messiah, the coming of Yeshua, the life of the Messiah has that very uh, similar understanding as what happened with the, uh, with the Maccabees. Both Hanukkah and the birth and life of the Messiah, really what we're celebrating, when you celebrate Christmas, you're celebrating the birth of Yeshua. It's about the life of Yeshua. It's about the incarnation of God. It's about God breaking into the world, who is the king of Israel, right? As, as some, of those, uh, some of those hymns say, the king of Israel, right? Except it's Israel, right? Uh, and, uh, and that is who he is right? The king of Israel. Uh, and, uh, and so we're celebrating God breaking in. So in the same way, in a time of great debauchery, God broke in and saved the day through those Maccabees. See? Uh, without them even realizing the huge implications uh, of all those things. And so I, I, these are very important, um, you know, very important times for us. Now, there's something else about these holidays, and that is what they can do for us, right? We are very consumed with the outward, do we or don't we, or is that bad, or is that wrong, or, you know. But 
may it all be a vehicle for us to break through all of the stuff and ask ourselves the question, am I dedicated to the purpose of God? Am I dedicated for his purpose? Like Yeshua, when I celebrate Christmas, am I giving thanks for the incarnation of God in this world? Uh, and the, uh, the, the, the gift of, of uh, salvation and new life and Messiah that we have, and then the appreciation of family and all that. It's all fine and dandy, right? Uh, and, and at Hanukkah, are we appreciative of how God, beso- despite ourselves, has had his hand on us all of these years, even in times of hopelessness, when all seems lost, that God has had his hand on us. Are we reminded of that? Do these holidays function uh, as vehicles to draw us closer to God? Are we doing it for ourselves or are we doing it for the Lord? And that is the supreme question to ask, which brings us to the last verse. Oh, no, wait a minute. Not yet. Uh, in uh, uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. I knew I wanted us to look at something here. Right, yes. So when he says here, okay, uh, in verse um, 11, for the grace of God has appeared, the unmerited favor of God. That's what he calls Yeshua. Yeshua is the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared. The favor we don't deserve has appeared. Okay. Uh, bringing salvation to all people. That is not some kind of universalism, but that available for anyone, Jew and Gentile, anybody, right, uh, can avail themselves of Yeshua's faithfulness, right? Instructing us to live a certain way, right? To deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, and looking forward for him to come, looking forward for his return, Right? But uh, cutting to the chase here in verse 14, where it says, He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. Redeem means to buy back. That's what the Maccabees did when they got the temple back. They redeemed it by their own blood, by by their own uh, fighting. And we know that Yeshua has redeemed us by his own blood, uh, by his own uh, 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 death and subsequent resurrection. Right? Uh, and so we have been bought back. We belong to him, just like the Maccabees took back the temple. And then it says, and purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's what the Maccabees had to do. After the temple was redeemed, they had to purify the temple. It could not be used for godly purposes without being cleansed. And so when we become Messiah followers, because of what he has done, he owns us. We don't lose that, by the way. We don't lose that, unless it was never there to start with, because uh, he owns us and he never casts us out. So he has redeemed us and the rest of our lives are spent being purified, right? And so that means that the longer we walk with the Lord, the more opportunities to be used by God, to serve him, to share the good news. For many of us, we never, we, our growth gets stunted because after redemption, uh, the, uh, our uh, participation in that cleansing, we don't participate in. 
And so where we don't, uh, um, we're not able to really serve God to our fullest. We usually think of as receive from God in our fullest. That's not the way we're supposed to understand that. But serve God to the fullest, right? That comes through uh, uh, purification and cleansing. If we had more time, we could read other passages about that. But notice it says, what is the end result? The takeaway for us? Zealous for good deeds. I love that because it doesn't say, you know, purify for himself a people for his own possession who then can just feel really great about themselves. You know, that's not what it says. Zealous for good deeds. The takeaway is, is serving God with a zeal and a great desire to, to serve God with a fire in our belly to serve the Lord, right? Uh, and, uh, and he equips us uh, uh, to do so, and that is what happened to the temple. So it had to be redeemed, cleansed, and then dedicated, right? And so the question for us is, uh, do we have that dedication? Are we dedicated to God? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That is where our devotion to God comes from. Uh, and so when you turn then to the very end of 1 John, the last verse, I'm just going to mention very quickly a couple of things. The very last verse says, little children, guard yourself from idols. Okay, That's how he ends the book, right? Little children, guard yourself from idols. Because idolatry is the opposite of, of our security in Messiah Yeshua, that it's all him, right? I want to read to you, uh, this is from uh, Eric's little mini-course, this wonderful thing about idolatry and identity. What is an idol? Is anything more important to you than God? Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God? Anything you seek to give you what only God can give? An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I had that or if I felt that, my life would have meaning. Then, I'll, then I know I have value. Then I feel significant and secure. So let me just mention to you, when we talk about idolatry, we're not, in our world, an idol is not really, uh, most of us don't have stone figures in our backyard that we go out and genuflect in front of um, all the time. But he mentioned a few idols. Uh, and, and an idol, therefore, uh, is something that I identify with. And that's a very important thing. An idol is something that we identify uh, with. How do I identify my life? Uh, our primary identity is being a child of God. And so, but you know what? I think that what we're going to do, this is going to become a two-parter. And uh, next Shabbat, I guess that's how we'll end the year, is understanding some of these kinds of idols that get in the way of our purity and that therefore get in the way of our really being able to be zealous for the Lord and cause us to feel very insecure in our faith sometimes and, uh, uh, and very self-absorbed in a variety of ways that we can all relate to on one level or another. But for us, as we uh, come and we uh, celebrate and observe uh, these holidays, may we ask the question, are we doing it for ourselves or are we doing it for the, for the Lord? 
Am I dedicated to the Lord? Am I zealous for him? And, uh, you know, tradition is not a bad thing. Cultural tradition, family tradition, ethnic tradition, it's not a, not a bad thing, okay? Uh, but may it all be a vehicle to draw us close to God, to make us thankful uh, for what God has provided in the, uh, in the story of Hanukkah and in the birth and the life of our Messiah. Indeed, light in the temple, light in the world. We are indeed the, uh, the recipients of that light, for we are the lights of the world. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we pray that we would live out this dedication every season of the year, every day of the year, that we would be a light and that we would glorify the light, the shamus, the servant, the Messiah. Lord, we pray that we would not hide our light under a bushel. Lord, we pray that we might bring the light to a dark world. Lord, we pray also that we would not get sucked in to the superficiality of everything, and that we would not get sucked in and have our, our, our emotions dictated by the events of this season. But Lord, may we be anchored in you. Yes, may we enjoy our families. May we enjoy rich family celebrations and, and of building family memories, you know, and all those kinds of things. But may it be focused on you. Lord, I challenge us to even create new traditions for our families that are anchored in Yeshua that give life to every aspect of our family celebrations. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have opened up our eyes. We thank you that we can see the shamus. We thank you that we are the recipients of your light because of your faithfulness to us, despite ourselves. Thank you that you did indeed send the grace of God into this world. The grace of God is Yeshua, that grace in which we stand. And we pray in Messiah's name.